Welcome to NACE Clinical Highlights. I'm Dr. Greg Sherman, Chief Medical Officer for the National Association for Continuing Education. This is the second episode in a two-part series on recent updates in the diagnosis and management of tardive dyskinesia. Joining me is my friend and colleague, Dr. Greg Mattingly. Dr. Mattingly is an Associate Clinical Professor at Washington University and President of the Midwest Research Group in St. Louis, Missouri. Greg, glad you could join me today. Great to be here with you. Likewise. Greg, in this podcast, we're going to discuss the management of tardive dyskinesia. In part one, we talked about diagnosis and burden. Let's get into treatment today, including the use of vesicular monoamine transporter 2 inhibitors, that's a mouthful, or VMAT2 agents. Before we get into newer therapies, can you start us off with a brief overview of traditional approaches to manage tardive dyskinesia? Yes, certainly. Let's, let's start with some of the basics. We know that tardive dyskinesia is most often caused by someone's exposure to a dopamine-modulating medication, such as an antipsychotic or the newer versions of atypical antipsychotics. We know that chronic use of these medications, and quite often use of more than one of these medications in someone with bipolar disorder, depression, PTSD, over time changes the number and sensitivity of those dopamine receptors that are being modulated by the medicines. Those dopamine receptors try to upregulate over time, resisting the effects of the antipsychotic. And with the long-term exposure, we start getting disinhibited or dysrhythmic movements that we call dyskinesias. Traditionally, tardive dyskinesia was managed with anticholinergic medications, benzodiazepines, or vitamin E. Unfortunately, none of those treatments really proved to be very successful. Anticholinergics although they can be effective for Parkinson's disease and certain tremors, actually have been shown to make tardive dyskinesia worse. So the rookie mistake is to put somebody on an anticholinergic, such as benztropine, cogentin, artane, which actually accelerates someone's tardive dyskinesia. Benzodiazepines and vitamin E also have been extensively studied and have shown very little benefit. Unfortunately, these ineffective treatments still remain commonly used to manage tardive dyskinesia. Essentially, old habits die hard. Even though we've shown these habits don't make much of a benefit, and in the case of anticholinergics, actually make tardive dyskinesia worse. Another common approach in the past was to try to discontinue or reduce the dose of what we thought was the offending or causative agent, the antipsychotic. However, there, the risk-benefit ratio is discontinuing the antipsychotic medication also risk destabilizing the patient. So it's important to keep in mind that the abnormal limits of tardive dyskinesia may become a permanent side effect of having been on antipsychotics. Very helpful, but if that's the past, what's currently the present strategy for managing tardive dyskinesia? We had a couple of medicines that were FDA-approved, studied around the world. These medicines are called, as you said, the VMAT2 agents. They change how much dopamine we store in our vesicles to slightly decrease the amount of dopamine to help smooth out these dysrhythmic movements. These are the best available. They're the medicines that have FDA indications, and all of the guidelines recommend that these medicines have been shown to help improve tardive dyskinesia. They tend to decrease the amount of dopamine that's released into the synapse so that we get slightly less dopamine. It smooths it out, and it smooths out those dysrhythmic movements from the motor nerve cells in the cortex. 
Right now, we have two VMAT2s that are FDA-approved for the treatment of tardive dyskinesia. We have dutetrabenazine, or brand name Asteto, and we have valbenazine, or brand name Ingreza. In clinical trials, both VMAT2s demonstrated significant improvement in abnormal movements among patients with tardive dyskinesia. In fact, the VMAT2s showed a very large effect size, pretty consistent improvement, improving quality of life by 70 to 80% in people that were struggling with tardive dyskinesia. Between the two agents, both have been shown to be very effective, but valbenazine is more selective than dutetrabenazine. Clinicians need to be familiar with both agents, as some insurance carriers, some state Medicare, Medicaid plans may prefer one over the other when it comes to coverage. Greg, 70 to 80% improvement in quality of life is quite dramatic. I'm not sure that I know of too many other agents that have shown that kind of improvement. Well, as we saw with Nancy, it's not just smoothing out the tremors, it's in smoothing, it's improving that quality of life, social connection, decreasing stigma, increasing that quality of life for our patients. That's great. We always like to talk about case scenarios because it helps us individualize what we're doing and see patients in our practice. I, I thought we could talk about management strategies through a couple of case scenarios. And I want to present to you this first case of a 57-year-old female who we're seeing for treatment-resistant depression. And she's been on escitalopram 20 milligrams and aripiprazole 5 milligrams daily for the past several years. And at her most recent visit, she exhibits a tremor in her hands and chewing on her lips while we're evaluating her. Maybe you can walk us through how you would approach this patient. Okay, let's get started. The first question is, is this a tremor or is this tardive dyskinesia? Questioning and examining the patient, we want to look at those areas of the body most affected by tardive dyskinesia, the face, the tongue, the lips, and the fingers. A clinical instrument such as the Abnormal Involuntary Movement Scale, the AIMS, is just seven items that helps you to walk through the body and see, do we see dysrhythmic movements? It can be used to detect tardive dyskinesia. It can be used to track improvement with tardive dyskinesia. It's a clinician-administered scale that requires only a couple of minutes by you or one of your nurses or your medical staff to complete. The clinician determines where are the abnormal movements. These do, in fact, look like tardive dyskinesia. The next question in your clinic, Greg, is going to be, do I treat it myself or do I refer? If psychiatric services are available in the region, then referral might be the preferred option for most primary care clinicians. But as with many of my primary care friends, Getting that next psychiatric appointment can be months to many months for our patients. Right. That's always a challenge. Our goal is to try to empower our colleagues that are listening to this to make the next step while they're getting their consults uh, lined up. Once we've diagnosed this, patient's, this patient with tardive dyskinesia, what approach do you think we should take when managing the symptoms? One approach would be to go ahead and start the patient on a treatment that has been shown to help her tardive dyskinesia. We have two options. We have dutetrabenazine and valbenazine. In this case, why don't we get started with valbenazine at a dose of 40 milligrams per day? After a week, that dose can be increased to the maximum dose, which is 80 milligrams per day. Start with 40, often a highly effective dose, but go ahead and slide the dose up to 80 if you still see abnormal movements. 
Alternatively, you could use dutetrabenazine. Start with 12 milligrams per day and titrate up by six milligrams every week. It's going to take a little more titration to a maximum dose of 48 milligrams. Uh, This approach can allow most patients to stay on their medicine. If they're on antidepressants, if they're on atypical antipsychotics, you can go ahead and treat the tardive dyskinesia with the VNAT2 inhibitor without destabilizing their mental health condition. Alternatively, the condition, your clinician could consider reducing the dose of aripiprazole. We know that reducing the dose of the atypical antipsychotic may initially actually worsen tardive dyskinesia. We're unmasking it. We're sh- sh- letting it show up. This paradoxical effect occurs because a lower dose reduces the inhibition of the dopamine receptors, allowing an increase of those dysrhythmic movements to occur. Over time, this usually gradually gets better and and improves over time. Conversely, the rookie mistake that I've seen many colleagues make is increasing the dose of the antipsychotic. At first, you'll cover, you'll mask the tardive dyskinesia. I've covered those dopamine nerve cells, but over time, they're going to break through and tardive dyskinesia will actually accelerate and worsen over time if you've increased the dose of the antipsychotic. I, I think that's great advice and certainly reminds us when we have a patient who's doing well with their underlying treatment, try to keep that in place as much as we can and treat the symptoms. Let's switch to a different case scenario. What about a patient with hepatic impairment? This is becoming more common in many of our patients with liver disease from fatty liver and non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. Let's use a 61-year-old male who presents with NASH, and bipolar disorder. This patient, let's say, has been monitored or maintained with 100 milligrams of sertraline and quetiapine 300 milligrams at bedtime. And the patient comes in and presents with a tremor in the hands and abnormal movements in the lips and the tongue. How might you manage this more complex patient? Greg, this case reminds me of somebody I take care of. Someone who had been in the military, a first responder, is now retired and wanting to enjoy the golden years of his life. But unfortunately, he's developed a complex case of tardive dyskinesia. The question, first of all, is whether the tremor is being caused by a medical condition such as liver disease or the antipsychotic. But thorough history and a use of something such as the AIMS by you or one of your office staff can help to differentiate where are we seeing these abnormal movements? Is it the tongue? Is it the lips? Is it the eyes? Is it the fingers? Does it look like a tremor? Or is it a dysrhythmic movement that's inconsistent in frequency, similar to tardive dyskinesia? Many clinicians might think about reducing the dose of quetiapine from 300 to 200 milligrams and then sliding it down lower if tolerated. And remember that when you first reduce the antipsychotic, tardive dyskinesia may actually rear its head. It may show up more. You may unmask it. Even after this initial worsening passes, for many patients with tardive dyskinesia, you'll see that the dyskinetic movements continue over time. This is a case that kind of helps us to choose between which of the two VMAT2 inhibitors. Um, Valbenazine can be used in this type of patient. Valbenazine has specific labeling that said in people that with moderate severe hepatic impairment, we can still use valbenazine and its active metabolites, but stick with the lower dose. At this case, we'd start with 40 milligrams and we would stay at that 40 milligram dose knowing that there will be slowed metabolism. Dutetrabenazine is currently contraindicated in patients with hepatic impairment. 
Greg, I just want to reinforce a, a key point. Once symptoms begin, is it unlikely or impossible that symptoms would go away by addressing or changing the underlying mental health medications, particularly antipsychotics? That's 100% right. Tardive dyskinesia, even when you try to lower the dose, which used to be our, our, our original strategy many years ago, 80 to 90% of people would continue to have tardive dyskinesia, even if you lowered the dose. The goal these days is I want to keep you on the appropriate mental health treatment, you know, minimize whatever medicines you can get rid of, but keep people on the right medicines, and then treat the tardive dyskinesia with medicines that help to improve those dyskinetic movements. Great. I want to wrap up with a final point about this class of medicine, since I'm sure many of our colleagues are not as familiar with them. And the common question we get are, what are the side effects? What could we expect if we start to prescribe these for our patients that have TD? What would you advise them? Yeah. With both of the two agents we've talked about today, somnolence or being a little tired is the most common adverse reaction. And we see that somnolence, when we first go on the dose and slide it up, it goes away for most patients. Other things to stick in the back of your mind is if somebody has an unstable heart, watch for QT prolongation. It's not usually encountered, but it is a rare but possible side effect. And sometimes in people that have tardive dyskinesia and Parkinson's, as we start the BMAT2 inhibitors, you may see the Parkinson's itself get a little bit worse. Not a common side effect, but it can happen. With dutetrabenzene, nasopharyngitis, and insomnia were some of the more common side effects in their studies. Other reported adverse re reactions included depression and restlessness or a sense of akathisia. Greg, that was terrific. Do you have any final comments before we close out that you'd like to share with your colleagues that are listening today? Let me just say that for the, our audience today, the primary care clinicians out there, you're at the forefront. You're seeing patients in between when they come in to see me. You're seeing patients that may be being seen in a community mental health center, being seen by a psychiatrist. You're seeing patients that may not have ongoing mental health care. So this gives you two options that are FDA approved to treat tardive dyskinesia to improve your patient's quality of life. Thanks so much, Greg, for taking the time to speak with me today and certainly sharing your expertise with our audience. And hopefully they are feeling more empowered as well. You provided great information to our colleagues today. Thank you so much for everyone for joining us for this discussion of tardive dyskinesia and the impact on quality of life in your patients that you're taking care of. If you haven't heard it already, join Greg and I for the first part of our conversation before it's too late. Who's at risk for tardive dyskinesia, where we discuss the impact of tardive dyskinesia and how to make an accurate diagnosis. You can also go to the NACE website at naceonline.com and register for any of our other enduring activities we've developed. Please like us on Facebook at NACE CME to be part of our online social media community and get access to other content and programs we share. And finally, I want to thank you, our audience, for joining us for this podcast. Hopefully, you've learned something new you can bring back to your practice, and we look forward to having you join us for other upcoming podcasts in the future.